All right. I hope you are all doing well. Glad to, as Kim said, it's good to get together. I enjoy, um, you know, to the Christian, every day is Easter Sunday, really, ultimately. Um, But it is nice, obviously, to be able to get together and and consider what God has done, consider uh, the truth that he has made known um, for us. And, And I love just the worship. I love hanging out with people. You know, second service was like this. It's just packed and it's great. You know, good time. But with that, I want to do just kind of, I'm going to dig in. I want to uh, encourage you, as Kim mentioned, just kind of keep track of what's taking place here. We don't do events and schedule things just to keep busy. We just know that when we gather, there's an opportunity to learn from one another, to be encouraged by one another, that God would, he actually speaks to and through us, um, bringing truth and hope and encouragement and life. You know, the, there was a point where you know, Jesus' disciples went, approached him and and all these people had came, they'd followed him, and they kind of got away for a little bit, the, the disciples, but the people found them. And so at the end of the day of teaching, the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, you know, we're thinking about this situation, and the people are really hungry. I think, I think you should send them away so they can get a bite to eat. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, he looked at them with compassion and seen many of them, he's seen them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he then begins to teach his disciples how to do things more his way than just maybe what would seem to be perhaps even be their way. And I think that's a good lead in, if you would, to to what we're going to look at. Um, I grew up not going to church. I was... uh, I guess I would say a seven-day recreationalist. Raced motocross growing up. Uh, we were always outdoors, camping anytime uh, we could get a, get out and, and do things. And so I didn't grow up, you know, with the name of Jesus. What, what little his name was spoken, generally speaking, was very profane and in no relation to who he is. And so then as I, you know, grew and I became and later married, and, and now I'm introduced to this person. Who's, who's I've never heard of. And I think there's maybe a parallel for many. You know, we, we know his name, but we don't know who he really is. Or maybe you remember that season of your life when that's how it was. Um, and then, you know, something happens and you come to know him. In our time today, I, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. And here's, here's my hope that we can gather from this just brief time we have. If you have not put your faith in him, I hope to give you a glimpse of who he is, that you may enter into a real relationship with him. As I said, I know, I remember how it was when I just knew of the name but didn't know the person. And somebody took the time and introduced the person to me, which allowed me then to decide what I would do as God would call, you know, call me or you into a relationship. The other, one, other thing I would mention, maybe you have put your faith in him. And if you have, I hope to show you from scripture how you can trust him even more. So you don't have to raise your hands. I'll just let you consider. Christian, is there any area in your life that maybe you don't trust him as much as maybe you should? Is there possibly one particular part of your thought processes, of your experiences, of your current life, where you realize, man, I just, I just need to trust God more on this one? Well, I think we can see from Scripture today that we're going to see there's, there's areas, and the more we learn about Him, the more we realize He is faithful. So let's begin with the word of prayer, if you would. 
God, as we have gathered today and as we um, just ponder and wonder, we know culturally there's a, a lot of things related to this day, and most of them wonderful, good. They have their place. But ultimately, God, we do elevate the priority and the reason that we gather and, and the reason that we sing is because of what you've done. It's because you've rose from the grave, because you've proven yourself. You've shown that you are God, that you died for our sins, that you rose from the dead, conquering death and hell. And so today I would ask, Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand more about you, God. That those inhibitions or those mental restrictions or those experiences of life that interfere with our understanding of your goodness, with our knowledge of your faithfulness, anything that would interfere, Lord, will you um, take down those walls? Would you break through in those areas of our mind that we could actually see you as you are and know you as you are, God. Help us to make decisions based on who you are and not what we perceive. And so God bless us. Walk us through your word today. For your glory and for our joy, we ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, I'd like to begin with a few things um, unique to Jesus. And as I went through this earlier this morning um, for service, I'm realizing, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's an awkward one to address but I believe it it should be addressed. And that is, Jesus brought light upon the dark reality of religion. See, I'll give you the context for this statement, but Jesus is anti-religion. What what are we doing here then? He is anti-religion. Seriously, let me give you the, the description that that context would be accurate. So as Jesus is... You know, as we read, we'll see how he engages. But he is against systems and beliefs and practices that are hypocritical and contrary to the truth of God. So he's against those things that misrepresent God. Those things that draw people in and deceive them and and, and just rob them. He's very much against it. So an example we have in a sense of this is that God gave the Jews... Uh, revelation. He revealed truth to them. We know from Genesis to Revelation, we have the totality, the, the complete word of God as he's preserved and written and written it for us. So we have this and we can see very clearly that the Jews were critical, a key part. They were a, a people that God poured into for a purpose. But as he poured into them instruction and, you know, how to walk with him and how your life should be and what it meant to, to know him and to follow him, to follow him. The Jews turned that into a system of profit, power, and persuasion that kept people from really knowing God. See, God had given them the, the light of truth, and they chose the eerie shadows of a system. I'm going to give you a couple examples to, to show that. But the first thing we're going to look at is he brings light upon the darkness of religion and brings to our mind what life should really be when we know the, the, the creator, God, the one he is. Jesus, we know a couple different times. As he went into Jerusalem, he seen was around them. Now, the Jews at that time, according to God's instruction, had, had built a temple. The temple had a specific open area, court of the Gentiles, and then some area around that. And so, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, 
the temple area where this um, court of the Gentiles is and that which I just described, you know, the Jews had set, it was, it was there, but they had manipulated it. So those who had come to worship and they were not Jews, they were called Gentiles, someone who's not of Jewish race, heritage. They would come in and then as they came in to worship, they had to follow this Jewish system. The Jews, Jesus said this, you've turned this place into a den of thieves. What did he mean? Well, see, Jesus is walking in. He observes this, this whole thing taking place. And the Gentiles, as they come in to offer uh, an expression of worship and maybe give of what they had and, like, you know, just want to maybe kind of give back to this God that they've heard of and try to, is it possible I could know that? So they would even offer currency. Well, the problem was the Jews created a system that they, they, they wouldn't accept that the, the currency, the common currency or the currency of your region, you had to have this uh, kind of a temple coin, so to speak, that the religious Jews required. And you had to exchange your coins for their coins. Guess who set the exchange rate? Exactly. The Jews set the exchange rate and they're just ripping people off. And so when Jesus comes into this, this area, he sees these people who were supposed to represent God. They were supposed to welcome people. Instead, they're ripping them off and misrepresenting God. So meek and mild and gentle Jesus takes some cords, ties them into a whip, and just cracks the whip and just snaps it. Livestock take off. Turns over the tables. Doves fly off. I mean, this is like chaos brewing. And, and, and all this is happening because he said to them, you've made my house a den of thieves. Come into the temple. He turns over the tables. He scolded the religious leaders, which is interesting. I mean, you've read the story. He scolds them. He's in their face. And guess what they do? Nothing. They know they're guilty. They know what they're doing. They, they're still putting up a front and a facade, but nobody challenges him on this. And so he comes in and just kind of rakes the place clean, turns over the tables, because he's opposed to religion that misrepresents God and rips off the people. I know when we read the Bible, sometimes we're reading about stuff that happened a long time ago and doesn't happen anymore. And so we can maybe have a hard time associating this principle or we can say, in reality, those systems can still be alive and well. The, the pretension, the impression, the perception, who people come to get to know the God of creation, and then they're, they're misled. I remember as a young man, as I mentioned, I didn't grow up going to church, and I developed a bit of a, an opinion with, you know, maybe some of these things in mind, but... In my 20s, when I had become a Christian and I, I was beginning to discover who Jesus was, because I, I had a different mindset, as you've already got a glimpse of. And so when I became a Christian, I wanted to know who this one that my, you know, Christianity was about. And so people had directed me to the, the Gospels and to read about who he is and get to know him. I was glad to discover that Jesus is opposed to religion that rips off people and misrepresents God. I was so glad to hear that. It made me want to know more about him. And I'm like, man, what, how, how come I didn't know this? 
I thought, I thought, no, wow, this is so awesome to, to discover and understand. And then began my journey. And I think some of you maybe have been reluctant or, or maybe there's times we're just unsure because we see systems or we see misre- misrepresentation and we see what we say is why go to church? There's a bunch of hypocrites there. It's all so fake. Well, maybe sometimes that's just some good street-level wisdom. But maybe sometimes that's just an excuse not to go. Get to know Jesus. Let's consider another one where Jesus is, is kind of disrupting the system, so to speak, and bringing truth. That's why people so quickly started gravitating towards him. They started following him, not because he aligned with a Sadducee or a Pharisee or a scribe within the religious column, because he actually brought truth. And his lifestyle lined up with the truth he was presenting. His words and his life were in sync. The other one I want to share with you is Jesus spoke kindly to a woman who was despised by society. This woman, if you've read the Bible, you'll know which story I'm referring to. She was caught in the act of adultery. You know, the religious leaders had grabbed her in the morning, threw her before Jesus to see what he will say. They don't care about the woman. The verses tell us that. They simply want to use her to trap Jesus. If he approves of her actions, then he's denying what God had said previously. But the amazing thing about this story, because there is this conflict between the religious system and establishment and the Lord. Jesus doesn't play into their trap. But rather, he reveals their hearts by saying this. Whoever among you has never sinned, you punish her. And now all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, now their little plan's kind of falling apart. And then what's really, I think, real-life stuff about this story is then Jesus stoops down by the woman and began to write in the dirt. And as he wrote in the dirt, the religious accusers went away one by one from the oldest to the youngest. What did he write in the dirt? What was in there? You know, we, it was, we're not told. So those of you who are like, take this, don't take this personal, but if you're a little doctrinally uptight, just take a deep breath for a minute, okay? Because I'm going to suggest to you some things to consider. I'm not writing another, you know, second Daniel of the Old Testament type thing. I'm just sharing with you, okay? What did he write in the dirt? He could have wrote their names and their sins. You know what I'm saying? Perhaps in outline form. A little line right here. Rabbi Noah. Arrogance. Pride. Covetousness. Pornography. Adultery. Hey, where it? Oh, he, oh, he had a meeting. He had to go. He left. Next line item. Rabbi better than you. Greedy, deceiver, manipulator, and he's writing these out. And where is he? See, I really lean hard to this is what he did because he knows their sins, all of them. He knows your sins, all of them. Don't leave. But he, he, is, you know, he knows them. I'm not going to go over them. <laughs> the thing that's so important is we realize that because the Bible tells you and me that our sins have separated us from God. And I'm convinced that when he wrote down their sins, they walked away because that's what happens 
when we realize God knows that about us. We tend to pull back. We tend to draw away. Some maybe were involved in the fellowship and hungry for God. But then their sin kind of grew and then more. And, and then they didn't want to go to church because, oh, you know, I'm just not got my, I don't have my life together. You see what happens? The knowledge of our sin separates us from God. It's not a law that makes us draw away. It's a relational reality because we know the Lord. And so then we pull back and we kind of try to like cover it up. And well, in the story as it goes, as they have left one by one, no one's around. Then Jesus speaks kindly to this woman and says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here she's he, interesting about her as you read the story on your own this week. He, he doesn't condemn her. He just says, go and sin no more. Go your way. See, I believe her heart's not really ready for the truth that she needed to see at that moment. What she needed to know is she wasn't condemned. That he did love her. And as she moves away, walks away, he's, he's made known. This, I brought light into this dark world. In the eerie crevices and the creepy hallways of religion, he shines the light of truth. Freeing people from systems and different things that oppress them. The second thing we can see today that helps us either come into a relationship or grow in our relationship is that Jesus brought hope concerning death. We find in the Bible the personalities and people throughout it, of course. We see here in the New Testament, in the Gospels, a family that has a very special uh, a very close relationship with Jesus. That's just based on what we see, the insight we have uh, from the Bible. They lived in Bethany, which was about two miles from Jerusalem. Um, they, uh, there, were, there were two adult sisters, Mary and Martha, and then one adult brother named Lazarus. We're told that Jesus, when he would travel from Galilee into Jerusalem, he'd often stop there in Bethany prior to entering Jerusalem. It was about a 40-mile travel by trail from the uh, the Galilee region up over to Jerusalem through some pretty tough terrain. So he's probably ready for a little break before dealing with what he had to deal with in Jerusalem. Well, anyway, this family that he's had a very special relationship with, while he's coming towards Jerusalem, some ways out, Lazarus becomes sick. Lazarus is there at home in Bethany. He gets real sick. And his sisters are really, really concerned. So they send for Jesus. Well, before Jesus arrives... Lazarus dies. It was heart-wrenching for the loss, because of the loss of their brother. It was heartbreaking because they believed if Jesus would have been there, then Lazarus would not have died. As Jesus was arriving, Martha runs out to him to meet him. Let's read this account. If you'll join me in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We'll pick up in verse 19. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know, 
Secondly, he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I want to pause right there and, and bring maybe home a little bit of what we're, we're unfolding. Have you ever been where your belief and your experience crash into each other? They, they don't synchronize. They crash. Let me give you a story that a lot of you guys can relate to. When I was about, I don't know, I might have been 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there. Me and my older brother, we rode bicycles all over the neighborhood. We, are, we grew up off Fairview and Boise on Primrose Street. And we're riding home. Well, we're racing home because we raced everywhere. And so we're coming home on this gravel road. We got a ditch bank to our right. Just a little, you know, three foot wide, little, you know, irrigation ditch. And we're just getting it. We're trying to beat each other, of course. And so... We have to squeeze in tight to where there's really only room for one. And then there's this ditch bank on the right. Well, neither one of us will give. And so as we're just going as fast as we can, try to go faster, try to get an edge on the other person, we're right there. And we got to that moment of rapid deceleration where when this bike that's in front, the pegs go into the spokes of the front tire. And the other one, the pegs go into the spokes of the rear tire. And then you launch <laughs> and we just fly through the air and end up in the ditch with these Siamese bicycles now coming through the air and landing on top of us and we're just laying there and we're you know trying to look at each other like why'd you do that <laughs> trying to figure out what happened I think there's a parallel between our belief and our life experience sometime when things just don't synchronize. What she believed, Martha, what she believed about life and faith, they didn't synchronize in the moment. She, from what the text we see, she believed in the afterlife. She knew something took place after you know, this body was done, but her emotions and her hurt, Everything just brought confusion, concern, fear. But she knew she was everything was going to be okay, but it didn't seem okay. Jesus says, you know, your, your brother, or she said to him, he said, your brother will rise again. And I, I know, I know, that, that's, that's what I believe. That, that, that's not what I feel right now. She didn't say it, but we know she felt it. I, I'm trying to figure this out. And I wonder, I kind of put the scenario together in my mind for just the process of understanding that perhaps Jesus here, as we see verse 25, he stepped where she could look at him and looked straight at him. And maybe they made, you know, visual contact. As they looked at one another, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What we have called the body, the Bible calls a tent. Now we understand it is simple terms from like dwelling places. Tents are not permanent. Some of you know the smell of the old canvas tents. The old ones, you know what I'm talking about. They're just the preliminary smell of death, if you would, in my book. I have sensory memory of growing up in one of those, been around one of those. And you knew that that wasn't permanent. You know, you wanted to stay sometimes, but it wasn't permanent. 
The Bible calls these bodies a temporary place. And the temporary dwelling place is falling apart. You did not need to come to second service. Sit down and realize the tent's falling apart. Sometimes that's why you're here at second service, because first service wasn't a possibility. (laughs) Tent's falling apart. But you, the person, will live on. What we must deal with while we're in this body, this tent, is our next location. Where will we live after the tent? Here's an interesting thought for you, of course. You know, you, you didn't get to choose when you were born, okay? There was no pre-birth preliminary form that you filled out before you existed. It may sound interesting to some theories, but no, see, you, you didn't get to pick. You didn't get to pick when in history. You didn't get to pick where on the planet. You didn't get to fill out a form to be the United States in the year 2022. You know, I'd be around. I wouldn't be in Ukraine. I wouldn't be in Africa. I wouldn't be in some horrible place in Asia. I'd be here. You didn't get to pick that. But you do get to choose where you'll spend eternity. And that's so important to understand. The death of the body is not the end of the person. Let me give you a little more detail to the context of these verses we're looking at. Lazarus has died, body has died. He's been dead for four days. They didn't embalm in those days. So we know from another passage there was an odor to it. Jesus has just said to his sister, I'm the resurrection and the life. Are you with me when you're in that scenario now? I know me. Before I come into a relationship with Christ, if he said that, I would say, okay. I would have a somewhat receptive look on my face. That's not what's going on in me. I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> well, Lazarus is dead. That's what goes through my head. I don't know what you're talking about, but he's dead. And he's been dead four days. That's real world stuff. Most of us, we kind of want to hide that. Like, oh, no, no, I don't want to think that way. That's not faith. No, it's reality. And you're trying to work out what reality is. And that's what I'd be saying. It's easy to say something, but can he back it up? Religious leaders say it all, say things all the time. People say things all the time. I'll do this, I'll do that. I'm the resurrection and the life. Okay, what do we got to work with? Well, guess what? He raises Lazarus from the dead. He brings him out of this tomb, proving that he has the power over life and death proving that he is the very person he claimed to be. It's easy to say something, but there's, is there action to confirm the statement? And we know Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's what's so amazing about a relationship with God, which can only come through Jesus Christ, is because he's conquered death and hell. There is countless religious leaders in this world. There are countless, quite honestly, almost completely countless variations of systems and beliefs, but only one, only one has a central figure, the, the object of the faith, as one who died and rose from the dead and raised other people from the dead. That should carry a little weight, wouldn't we agree? Others can say a lot. They can be philosophical. They can be pleasant. They could have a huge history. But if you're not God... You're not worthy of worship. If your system has no power, it's probably a form of deception. And I look at this and go, man, he raised him from the dead. And get this. 
It's one thing to raise Lazarus, because you know what else happened to Lazarus? The tent died. Later, he will pass away and enter into heaven because of his faith in Christ. Jesus, in taking this and teaching about the resurrection, is giving them an insight into what's going to happen in his own life. See, Jesus would give his own body over to death, literally. He would be crucified. It was a brutal form of torture designed to cause the most pain they could come up with as a way to deter any other person from doing something against the, the civil code. He, he put himself there on display for all to see. And here, maybe you're one of their followers. Maybe you were, you know, kind of imagine you're like this guy, like watching from the distance. And then you're like, oh, that's horrible. And your emotions are stirred and your tears are rolling. And you're looking at him on the cross. and like, oh, what's he going to do? He died. And your hope is gone. You know, the disciples followed him for three years. They left family. They left a lot. And now here they're looking at him on the cross. And any moment he's coming off. Any, any moment he died. He died. It was a very, very dark day. Hope is lost. They placed his lifeless body into a cave. Hearts are broken. Dark Friday blurred into somber Saturday. As you're sorting out, man, what just happened? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? But Sunday, Sunday, the report comes in. The women are sharing and they're saying, and another report, these two guys from Emmaus. And Thomas is sitting there scratching his head going, I don't get it. But then the confirmation comes. The visible evidence is before you. The proof is right before you. See my hands. Look at the scar on my side. He is alive. He rose from the dead. He conquered death and hell. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Can you imagine how powerful that statement back here with Lazarus was on the dawn of resurrection day? When they come to a realization, this is true. This is real. Now, maybe some of you have that mind that I had so much, <laughs> I reasoned from before I was born again. And you're like, well, you know, yeah, you know, that's what you say. I mean, you're reading from the Bible and it's kind of circular reasoning. And yeah, I get where you're coming from. But before you elevate yourself in ignorance, you may want to consider reality. Over 500 people seen his resurrected body after the crucifixion, after being placed in the cave. Now, that's little more than strong evidentiary proof. That's pretty, you know, persuasive to say the least. Now, I could say, well, yeah, but I wasn't there. Well, tough luck, buttercup. Doesn't change the facts. Just because you didn't get to see it, you're like, well, I don't know. I didn't see it. Uh, you know, do you want to go down that road? Do you want to turn on a computer? Do you want to use a car? Do you want to do anything where you don't get to see things happen? And you go, oh, well, I don't think cars exist. I haven't drove one. Well, I see them, but I don't drive them. Like, you see what I'm saying? I'm not mocking anybody. I'm just helping you. Like, let's just not fall into these little boxes and patterns that allow us to say, well, I don't know. You can know. The, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a pastor's precision or, or opinion. I don't have to persuade people about it. It's not a religious key point in the sense of, let's make this the main thing. 
This is what it is. It's a historical fact proven. Proven by the enemies of God. Proven by the followers. It's a historical fact. That fact now becomes the basis by which we start sorting things out. There's one other thing I want to mention that Jesus said in that regard. And what I mean is in regards to our relationship to him. Often he taught at least a couple of times and maybe more. One time he was praying. Another time they were coming from the area of Galilee. And I'm, I don't know if it was like stop for a break because you climbed a hill or whatever. Because, you know, we're talking about rugged terrain. But he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I've heard one of the prophets, maybe Elijah. Oh, no, that guy over there, Al Philippi, says you might be John the Baptist, come back from the dead. So he wasn't because he, he wasn't taking a popularity poll. He was prompting the audience, the people he was speaking to. What's the word on the street? What do people say? I'm like, ah, that's what I hear. But I'm sure there was a pause, a, a very serious silence when he then said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? A very convicting conversation. Can we agree? That's what people say at your workplace. That's what people say on the soccer field. That's what people say where you go. Well, I think he's this and this and this. But what about you? Who do you say that he is? It's a very important personal decision. Some of you, I know, I'm confident. There was a point in your life where you were really close with God, I would say. Born again. But then decisions and issues and maybe sin and some other things have come in and and where you used to declare his name it's changed i am has become he was maybe the divorce maybe the loss of a loved one maybe that financial challenge fill in the blanks where what used to be in a joy and an excitement has become just a distant observation And I want to tell you, go back to this question. Is he the resurrection and the life? Did he rise from the dead? Because that means he's God. And if God says to you, and he says to me personally and privately, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's drawn as close to him. He knows the things we deal with. And perhaps maybe you're not yet a Christian. Maybe this is the first time that you've really processed this stuff with maybe some clarity. You know you need God's forgiveness. You know deep down. You don't even have to talk to people about it. You've heard it. You just know you're not walking with God. You're not really considering him. But you're very much aware that you will depart one day. You know, you you really can't check it on your, it's not on your driver's license. Did you know that? That expiration date's for the license, not the person. Do you know that? So you can't see, well, when do I leave? What can I do until I, before I die? And then I can get right with God just moments before. It doesn't work that way, does it? You've lost loved ones. You've wept. You've sat in the funeral home. You've been concerned. You've had the memorials. And you, you never said, oh, man, that's a bummer. They're all going through that because I never will. We know our day will come. We just don't know when it'll be. And the one thing I want to encourage you, make travel arrangements before you leave because you can't do it afterwards. You literally have to take care of this business now. 
And the more you learn about Jesus, if you're still apprehensive, if you're still reluctant, the more you learn about Jesus, the more you'll see he's opposed to the many of the things you are opposed to as well. For many of you who don't want much to do with religion, I commend you. That's wisdom. But don't turn away from Jesus because somebody else is working the system. Realize it's between you and him. So why don't we have, I'm going to have the worship team come back up and we're going to close in a song of worship together. And I'd like to pray with you. I'd give you an opportunity um, to really, uh, you know, maybe just reset yourself in regards to walking with Jesus so as they're working their way up, if you would stand up with me and we will begin to get ready to pray. Let's pray together. God, as we stand here before you on this day of celebration, the celebration of the resurrection, I thank you, God, that you have given us an insight Another view on some of these things we've read, many of us have read before. We're familiar with some of the idea, the concept, the truth. But God, I pray that this would be a day of transformation for every one of us. For those of us who have known you and you've spoke to our hearts, we put our faith in you. You know us, God. As we wandered off to college or we worked through that broken relationship, we climbed up from financial debt and we inadvertently turned away from you more than towards you. God, I pray for, if you're, if you're that person, I just encourage you, just come back to Jesus. Just come back to Jesus. You know his love. You know his forgiveness. You know the hope he's put before you. Don't be distracted by those things that will draw you away but turn to the one who knows everything about you and loves you deeply. Start fresh today. Between you and him, just go, give it, give it a new start. Turn to him. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just turn to Jesus today, right now, this evening, this afternoon. Go back to the one who loves you. For those of you here or hearing online, maybe... For some reason, God has just opened your eyes to reality a little more. He has reminded you that you, you are living in a tent and this body will pass. Where you live forever will be based on what you decide concerning his grace, his unmerited favor. See, he's offered you new life to be born again. To receive that life it involves responding to the grace believing that he is God. It begins with a prayer such as this. God, I, I put my trust in you, Jesus, and I'm believing that you are God, that you rose from the dead. And yet as I believe, I doubt. I, I wonder if it's true. I, I, I struggle. I don't know really in totality and completeness what, what this is all about. But by faith, I'm just turning to you, Jesus. Show me what I need to know. Teach me what I need to learn. Give me strength where I'm weak. Give me hope where there's darkness. I admit I, I've been against you. I've done things that are not right. I've sinned. And I would ask your forgiveness. And I would also ask for help to live this new life you speak of. 
to know what to turn from, to know what to do. Oh God, help me in this new born again life you brought me to. As we would all say to you, Jesus, I need more of you. I need an understanding of your truth. I need help where my hurts are. I have fear that I, I, I just I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, to stand when this comes upon me. And in that, I would say, God, help. Help me to look to you even when I don't want to. Help me to trust you even when I don't feel like it. Help life's experience to be seen through the eyes of faith that you will be glorified. And so, God, I'll sing to you. I'll declare, declare your name because you are good. The things of this world will pass away. And as they pass, I'll have a greater view of you, a greater understanding of your grace. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.